Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Way better than the first service. This side was a little louder, this side a little quiet. Um, everyone thinks, you know, when you lose an hour, you're like, oh, well, we'll just sleep in. And the, the truth is you don't sleep in. Those of you that come to this service, you stay up late. So, I mean, it's a wash either way. So what I want to do to kind of get us a little energy in the room and make sure we're all on the same page is um, I need everybody to stand up for me. Can everyone stand up? You got one guy in the back like, ah, oh, rolling his eyes. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're here, but, um, you know, come on, let's do it. I'll skate. Everybody goes. We're all going to do this thing together, okay? So you have to repeat after me. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, good. All right. So here's the first part. Ready? I may be in charge, but I don't always know what to do. I may be in charge, but I don't have all the answers. I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm just the leader. leader. Alright, go ahead and sit down. Well played, well played. Thank you. Isn't that true though? For most of my life, um, I have never been the smartest person in the room. And you're all sitting there going, well, yeah, I could have told you that. I mean, I could see it from where I... Yeah. So, um, let me tell you a quick little story. Uh, when my wife was pregnant with our second son, Nixon, um, she, was, she was pregnant. I mean really pregnant like uh she she was she's a beautiful woman and she's here at the first service and she's here at this one but she was uh she's pregnant um so she was pregnant and i decided that like i'm gonna try and lead my family well and and, and as we're expecting this kid i want to redo the house a little bit and my I, my idea was grand and then i had to whittle it down and go you know what let's just replace um the faucets in the master bathroom before we get like a year and a half of no sleep so it was remodel the house yeah faucets in the master bath and um our house in back in california is 30 years old so um it hadn't been touched in 30 years and uh, I thought, today's the day because we're going to have a new kid and it's, it's going to be crazy. And so uh, we went to Home Depot and, and she came with me. And um, I should tell you this, uh, her parents flew down to California as well just to kind of hang out. And so it was like this, this whole family trip to Home Depot, which is always a good time. And we got to Home Depot and uh, <laughs> the guy that was helping us was a little nervous. He kept going like, hey, like, is she going to give birth like right here in my aisle? Because if you could go to the next one, that would be great. But so, I mean, super pregnant, super pregnant. I'm like, I got to get this done today because probably tomorrow baby Nixon is going to be with us. So uh, we go to Home Depot and I'm looking at faucets and I go, these are the ones we're going to buy these. We get them home and um, you know, you open up the cupboards, you climb underneath, right? You're moving everything around and you look up and I, I wish I could show you a picture, but you have the back wall and then literally the sink is like right here. So there was no room to get any like normal tool up there. So how many of you know, when you go to Home Depot for a project, you don't go once. Okay. I averaged three times per project. So uh, Mike and I, my, my father-in-law, we went back to Home Depot and we got this special tool, right? So we come back up and we get in there and that thing had been corroded for 30 years. It was not budging. We got the spray, we got everything that we could do to do this thing. And I gave up. And whenever I give up, I'm like, I'm just going to go down and have a snack and something to drink. And we'll figure it out. I'll think about it and I won't stew on it. So I, I go and do that. Mike is determined. He's going to get the job done. And so um, he has a wrench. And uh, what do you do with a wrench? Do you guys know what to do with a wrench? You, you wrap that thing around it and you, you pull on it or you right, pull or push, right? You can totally tell I'm handy. 
So you wrap that thing around and you like, you, you pull on it, right? And that's supposed to loosen everything up. Now, um, there's a difference between a wrench and a hammer. Mike didn't know the difference. So he got the, the wrench and just started hammering this thing. The whole pipe is corroded, broke the pipe, broke the sink. I'm downstairs with the grilled cheese and the soda living life. I walk back up. He comes back down. He's like, Steve, your turn. I'm like, all right, I'll get up there. And we'll, you know, we'll see what we got. I open up the covers because he closed them again. And I'm looking at the drain and the sink. And he had taken plumber's putty and just massaged it in there and tried to fill all the cracks. So I, you know, turn on the faucet and it's just going everywhere. It's just a mess. So we sit there and we look at this thing and we're like, all right, back to Home Depot because now we got to get a sink. So we go to Home Depot and we go to buy a sink. They don't have the sink that fits our vanity because it's, you know, a bajillion years old. So we have to go to a specialty store. So we go to a specialty store. We buy the sink. We go and we get it and it's broken. So it's really easy to take it apart when it's broken. So we put the new one in there and we try to like get it to fix and it won't seal and it's kind of crooked and it's a little weird and you turn the faucet on and it still leaks and things don't work underneath. And we're like, this is ridiculous. And we looked a little closer and we realized the original sink, the drain was in the middle of the sink and the sinks that we, the sink that we bought, uh, the drain was in the front or in the back. You know what I'm saying? So the pipes didn't even line up anyways. So what do you do? You go back to the store and you got get another sink. Now, I affectionately refer to my father, my father-in-law and I, um, in our, our corporation, we call ourselves Dumb and Dumber Construction. <laughs> I will let you decide which one is dumb and which one is dumber. But uh, that's how we refer to ourselves. And um, so we go back to the store. We buy another sink, the same one, so they match. And we go back in and we start installing it. And we can't get this thing to work either. And I should tell you, we started at 930 in the morning. It's now evening. So we say, forget this. Um, we're, we're over it. We're frustrated. We're mad. My wife is super pregnant. And I'm like, something like the water, we're going to have a massive leak. She's going to go into labor. And the whole thing's going to be a mess. And my life will be over as I know it. So uh, I talk with Mike and I go, look, here's the deal. Um, you broke the sink. So you get to call the plumber and pay for it. <laughs> and that's exactly what we did because we were so frustrated because we tried everything and we couldn't fix it. Plumber comes over, long story short, looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, I know what to do. You got to do the gizmo with the who's what's it and flip the thing and put the paste on it. And half hour later, done. Good as new. I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated because we're looking at this thing and you're like, what? Ah! We tried everything and we couldn't fix it. And then we had to go and outsource it. And the guy that knows what to do walks in and goes, oh, yeah, boom, done. Have you ever been in one of those situations in life where you've tried everything and you don't know what else to do? You get paralyzed in that moment, right? That's what, that's what Mike and I were experiencing. We're just sitting there like, what? What do you do? So what do you do when you don't know what to do? I think there's two options. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I think there's two options. Uh, the first option is um, paralysis by analysis, meaning you do nothing. You just, you think over the thoughts, the thoughts, and you keep thinking and thinking the thoughts of the thoughts you've been thinking. You just think, 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 and at the end of the day, you go, I, I have no idea. You call it research, but it's not research. You're just going over a bajillion different options and not pulling the trigger on any of them, right? That's analysis by paralysis. I'm really good at that. Mike, on the other hand, does the second option, and that is you throw everything, every other option, you throw everything up against the wall and you see what sticks. The problem with that is you end up making things worse, don't you? 
before you find the solution. That check that would have been done, you know, the plumber, it's, a, it's an hour, half hour, whatever, and the job is done, it's a smaller check. The more damage you make, all of a sudden that's a bigger check and it takes more time. And this is all fun and games when we're talking about plumbing and home improvement projects. By the way, for a nominal fee, Mike and I will come over to your house and we'll break your furniture. And then um, we'll call someone else to go fix it. So let me, let me know if you're interested. Our prices can't be beat. So what do you, what do, you do in that situation? Right? You don't know what to do. You've tried everything. And again, this is, we're talking about plumbing, but uh, what if it's relationship? Right? What if, what if it's a friendship? What if it's a relationship with your parents and you have tried everything and it's not working out? What if it's you and your spouse? And for years and years and years you've been talking and you're trying to make this thing work and you've done everything you know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do in your careers, right? You've been working hard. You're trying to get that promotion and your intentions are good because I just, ah, I'm working really hard and you have, you're being ethical and you have integrity and, and the promotion is not coming and you've talked to everybody, you've tried everything and, and you've hit the internet a bajillion times thinking that's some like magic eight ball that if you search enough, you'll get the right answer. What, what, do, you, what do you do? See, we do this in business, we do this in relationships, we do this with our spirituality. Some of us have been praying the same prayer for a long, long time and we've given up because we don't know what else to do and it feels like God's not listening. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? And here's, here's what I know about, about us. Here's what I know about all of us. Um, every one of us leads something. Whether you're leading a business, a nonprofit, some sort of organization, or you're leading the kids in your house. Or you're, quite frankly, you're just trying to lead yourself well. Here's what I know about leadership. All of us are leaders. And the other thing is, all of us are leaders, but we don't always feel like it. Because there's always a bigger, brighter, louder, more effective leader. And, and here's the interesting thing about leadership is that um, when it doesn't go well, you and I are responsible for it. And when it goes well, you're supposed to praise the team. <laughs> Have you noticed that? So what do, you, what do you do when you're trying to lead something and it's not going well? And the problem is, you, you know, you're responsible for the dumb choice that got you in that problem in the first place. It's, it's, it's your fault. It's my fault. It is our fault. And the reason we don't always feel like leaders is because we fail. And when the next opportunity arises for one of us to go and lead other people or lead ourselves, what happens? There's that thought in the back of our brain. And it reminds us of the mistake. And it reminds us that we tried that and that we failed. And it reminds us that if we failed the first time, we're probably going to fail again. And some of us were stubborn enough that we just start leading anyways, and we'd look back and we'd go, oh, no one's following. <laughs> okay? Some of us were too terrified to lead because of all the past experiences. And I... I love this series that we're in and I love this chapter that we're in because Peter is going to answer that question that all of us have asked. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And this is our life right now, but let me give you some context in the first century church. There's a persecution happening that um, is, is unreal to me. There's an emperor by the name of Nero and he is famous for persecuting Christians. He blamed everything wrong in society, the economy, Health, sickness, the coronavirus. He, prayed, he blamed all of it on the Christians because they were a small little segment of the overall population. And so he's famous for rallying and gathering all these Christians together, hanging them on pieces of wood or whatever, stakes in the ground. And when, when nighttime rolled around, he would light them on fire 
and he would light his gardens with these people. Now, imagine for a moment you're in the church. Peter's writing you a letter. You're in this church and you're figuring out, see, this is, this is, this is next level. This is a matter of life and death. So you're in this moment. What do, you, what do you do in this moment? Because you've tried everything and you've prayed all the prayers. You've talked to all the people. If there were an internet in the first century, man, you would have Googled everything. You would have figured it out. And what you're doing is not working. And the faith that you put in God does not seem to be paying off. You've tried everything and it is not working. What do you do in that situation? And Peter provides an answer for it. These are timeless truths. They're, they're beautiful pearls of leadership wisdom. I mean, it's, it's perfect. So if you have a Bible, go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 1. And I want to give you a heads up as you're flipping there. Um, I'm going to throw a lot at you. This is going to be more teaching than preaching this morning. Um, There's a ton of information in this. So you've been warned. And also I should tell you this, that um, we're going to start off with talking about the older people. And then point number two, we start talking about younger people. So um, we have an equal opportunity for everyone to be offended this morning. (laughs) So enjoy. Uh, it's, don't take it up with me. It's Peter, right? Just the messenger. Don't, okay, he wrote the stuff. And then the second thing is this. Um, regard, there are certain environments or situations where you, where you will find yourself being the old person in the room. And there's certain environments where you're the, old, the young person in the room. Are you with me? So as I'm talking about these things, I'm going to be painting in broad, broad strokes, big generalizations. But this applies to everybody. So with that in mind, let's dive in. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. You with me? Nice. All right, here we go. Number, uh, verse one. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who, uh, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Okay, real quick and we'll move on. Um, those of you who are new to church, this, you interpret this verse uh, more easily than those of us who are longtime people because you read the word elder and you think older person and you are correct. That's what, that's what Peter's saying. He's not talking about elder as like the office, the church office, or the position that a person holds within church leadership. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, as a, as a fellow old guy, someone who's lived some life, and I identify, I have in my faith, I understand the suffering that Christ went through. As an old guy, as a peer, I'm going to give you some wisdom of what you should do here. He's not saying, hey, Peter, the great apostle who walked on water, I was on the mountaintop when Jesus did the transfiguration and the lightning thing really, I I was there. He's not talking about that. He's not pulling that card. He's saying from one old guy to another old guy, here's what we do when literally all hell is breaking loose in your life. Because again, for them, it's a matter of life and death. Here's what he's saying. Verse two, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing Circle, highlight, underline, smiley face, star, arrow, the word willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Mark that one up too. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Highlight examples. And lastly, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So number one in in your notes, to the older people, lead like a shepherd. Lead like a shepherd. Now, uh, I grew up in California. Um, I've never seen a shepherd before in my life. I know very little about farming or agriculture or anything. So I do a little research. And as I'm mining through this text trying to figure out what does that even look like, um, that word willing that pops up, it's not like, well, all right, I'm willing to take the trash out because it's got to be done. I guess we should empty the dishwasher because that's got to be done. It's not that. It's like, yeah, I can do that. 
no, I, I can help. There. I know how to do that. There, there's this there's willingness. There's an excitement about it. I, I gave you a couple bullet points underneath. You could simply write this. Be enthusiastic. Be enthusiastic. Trash has to be taken out. May as well be enthusiastic about it. Instead of, yeah. Now, broad stereotypes, but um, older people uh, can tend to be um, grumpy. See how delicate? I'm like tiptoeing around this. Do you see it? Uh, Especially in the church because we sit there and go, well, I used to do that. Or I did my time. It's someone else's turn. And Peter is writing and simply saying, no, no. Be enthusiastic. There is, there is work to be done. It's the lifelong Christian. I've been following Jesus for 35 years and it's been great. Really? <laughs> Tell your face. Because <laughs> it doesn't like, you know what I'm saying? Like be enthusiastic. When the worship set is here and we're singing, be enthusiastic about it. Because here's why. Here's why. Young people are watching. They are watching. And they may never ask you the question, but they are getting answers from you by how you behave and how you act and how you worship and how you serve and how you follow Jesus. They're watching. Be enthusiastic. I want to give you a a couple things very specifically that you can be enthusiastic about when it comes to a younger generation. Are you ready? Two of you are ready. Here we go. The first one, number one, you can be enthusiastic about their music and their worship style. I know it's not your songs. And I know it feels weird and you don't really like that one lyric and that one song and that one line. I know. But to them, it is everything. And to Jesus, it is beautiful. Be enthusiastic about it. Because the tendency as we get older is to want people to like the stuff that we like. Problem is they don't. They like their stuff, which is okay because you like your stuff. But we, we get this unnecessary culture war where we're like, oh, that's not a great song, and that's not, mm, your hands are too high, they're too low, they should not. We get all these weird things. And, and, and Peter's just saying, look, be enthusiastic because at the end of the day, we're just worshiping. That's it. We're worshiping the same God. It may look a little different, but same God. Be super enthusiastic about it. Okay, the second one is this. Be enthusiastic about their personal expression, their clothes, their social media, the fact that they want their rooms and everything to be Pinterest worthy. And I, I get it. It's a little over the top. I understand. But nonetheless, it's a value. It's a value. So allow them to do it. Be excited about what they're doing. And this one, I think this one, this is probably my favorite that I'm going to give you. Um, be enthusiastic about what God is doing in their lives. Ask questions be curious because you'll get two one of two answers they'll tell you what god's up to in their life or you'll get this one i don't really know and in that moment in that i don't really know as an older person who's walked with jesus for a long time you know what just happened right there you have an opportunity to lead that person, to disciple that person, to help them figure out what God is up to in their lives. And older people, friends, family, there is nothing more important than to help people understand what God is doing in their life. When you are enthusiastic and you ask questions and you're curious, opportunities are created. 
And it's in those opportunities that you get to drop a little nugget of wisdom. You get to disciple someone. You, you get to ask questions. And you get to tell stories of, yeah, I remember. Because you do, don't you? You remember those times in life when you were younger trying to figure out, man, what is God doing? Because it doesn't make any sense. And you get the blessing and a wonderful opportunity to go and provide an answer. Be enthusiastic about it because it's contagious. Last one. Uh, be enthusiastic about their friends. The good ones. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be enthusiastic about the good ones, not the bad ones. Like, Don't hang out with that guy, but hang out with Johnny. So if it's your kids, right, you're like, hey, have you hung out with Johnny? What's Johnny doing? You should hang out at Johnny's house. I'm really excited you're hanging out with Johnny this weekend. What are you and Johnny doing this weekend? You should go hang out with Johnny. I love Johnny's family. We should go over there and be, like, be enthusiastic about what they're doing. Why? Because they're enthusiastic. And if you're always coming down on them and always saying you should change, you should do this, and you're like the get off my lawn guy but in the church setting, if that's who you are, you are not going to be able to give answers to questions they're asking because they will not ask you. Because they already know the answer. It's a beautiful warning. Okay, a couple other things that we were talking about, right? The, uh, that whole idea of serving others. And I, I don't want to belabor the point, so we'll touch this one and we'll move on to the next one. Um, but he's saying, hey, if you're going to lead like a shepherd, you have to serve people. And the best way that I know to define service and what this looks like is um, if you are the one doing the serving, the person you are serving should get the benefit. They should get the blessing. They, they, there should be more value added to them. If you are doing the one serving and your life is better because of what you're serving, I, I, I question how well you're serving. Because the whole idea is we serve other people and they reap the reward and the blessing. This, this, is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And then the last one, and this is the most difficult one. If you want to lead like a shepherd, you have to lead by example. Oh, that one's so hard. Because we can't blame anything else if it goes wrong, right? Because it's us. It's the one in the mirror. Like, this is so difficult. And yet, as parents, you know this intuitively. As parents, um, if you don't want your kids to talk bad about someone, what do you do? You say, don't talk bad about people. But if, if they see you talking bad about people behind their back. See, when it comes to parenting, more is caught than what is taught. We even have a phrase for this, right? We say, do as, uh, do as I say, not as I Oh, so you know it. Because leading by example is so difficult. Now, we need to give ourselves some grace. And yes, God is going to fill in the gaps. And where we're weak, he's going to be strong. And, you know, things are going to be okay. I, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about leading by example because they're watching. Because they're watching. My, my dad is one of my... I, I love my dad. My dad, my dad is one of my heroes. Because for a guy who's pretty sporadic and spontaneous, um, he modeled what it looked like to have self-control, to be disciplined. And I, I'm pretty much like this, depending on the day. <laughs> and my dad's like this, just consistent. And I can count, literally, I can count on my hand the amount of times growing up that I watched my parents fight or have a discussion, whatever you want to call it. Um, seriously, I, I, I never saw it. And it was such a blessing growing up because I, I had that stability. I, I didn't worry about that. I, I, just, I just knew that, like, okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. 
Now, on the flip side of that, when I um, proposed to my wife and she said yes, having never seen my parents argue, I had no idea how to fight fair. <laughs> no idea how to do it. So we refer to our engagement as our enragement. <laughs> we didn't know. My, my wife, I mean, man, she's got a quick tongue and she's sharp, man. She's so, so sharp. Now, I, I talk, right? This is what I do. But she's like... Boom, right away. I'll say something. Bam, she's got another answer for this. And I wasn't used to that. So I get pretty heated. I get pretty upset. And so finally I went to my dad and I went like, how? Okay, here's what Darcy and I are doing. And I watched you and mom and you guys never did this. uh, What's the secret? And he looked at me and just smiles. Oh, we fought all the time. (laughs) What? Oh, yeah, yeah. You and your brother, you just never saw it. (laughs) Oh, well. Enlighten me, Pops. What do you got? <laughs> Help me out, man. And he, he said this. He said this. Because um, you got to know this. Again, my dad's like this. My mom is, is, is fiery. She, if you saw her, she's like five foot nothing. But like, man, don't cross her because she'll, she'll be like nine feet tall and in your face, right? So she's ready to go. And my dad with the self-control thing is like, hey, the conversation's getting heated. And he'll literally remove himself from the argument. And he'll go in his office. I remember coming home from school or soccer practice or whatever. My dad would be in the office and my mom is in the kitchen just like, like stewing over something. Dad's in there like reading a book, <laughs> praying, playing solitaire. Remember back in the day, Windows 95 solitaire? That, he'd be doing that thing and I'm like, I think something's going on. I don't know. And so I asked him, I'm like, why? Why? How? What, what's the deal? And he said, I never wanted to say something in the moment that I would later regret. Because in that moment, I meant it, which is why I said it. Because I knew it would sting. I knew it would prove a point. I knew it would. But in that, in that moment, I meant it. But I, I didn't want to have to say that on the back end of the argument, hey, I'm sorry I didn't mean that. Because he knew, like I think we all know, that we do mean it. In that moment. We regret it and we, we are sorry. But we said it. Can I... Can I I can't tell you how that has changed our marriage. That has been foundational for us, is to step aside and just take a breather. Friends, older people, how you lead by example is everything. You have no idea the impact it will make on younger people. This is so good. This is so important. Okay, that's all the young people. You ready to attack the, the younger people? Should we go after the younger people? I told you, equal opportunity, right? Equal opportunity. Peter's great at this thing. So here we go. Verse 5. Are you with me? Older people, this is your verse. This is your verse. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. And everyone over 50 said amen. Amen. All the moms and dads in the room said amen. amen. All the young people went, yeah. We'll see. Right? Peter's a little older now. He was a hothead, full of ambition, fiery guy. He's a little older now. He's got that, he's got that AARP swag that comes with age. He's, he's full off of the senior citizen discount at the restaurant. He's enlightened. And he only gives the young people one thing where he gave the old people numerous things because he knew the old people could understand. And for the young people, he gave him one, one thing. And he said, 
Submit yourself to your elders. Now, we don't like that word because it seems like, ugh. Can I give you a different word? Pretty much the same thing, but the different word is humble. So number two in your notes to the young people, lead humbly. Lead humbly. Because, because you might not know everything. And you might be able to learn something from the elders. I know it looks good. I know you've thought about it. You've asked your closest friends about it. And everything looks good on paper. But when you run it by someone who has experience, they might see something that you're missing. I know you're better with technology. I know. And I know you can Google everything. I know. But there are just some things that take time. Lead humbly because you, while you're, you're full of fire and passion and you have the vision of what you want it to look like, what the relationship's supposed to be, the business, the nonprofit, the whatever, the vacation, the travel, the Instagram, the social media, what you have the vision for it, but you might not have the wisdom for it. You might not have the wisdom. So young people, can I give you a couple things of what we can learn from the older generation? This is really, really important. We could learn a lot from this. Go ahead and take some notes. I told you, lots of teaching, tons of stuff I'm throwing out at you this morning. Uh, number one, if you humble yourself, you can learn. Because the old school way is better for a couple things. Here's the first one, ready? Finances. Finances. I'm painting with broad strokes. These are all generalities, so just you know, hang tight. Um, don't get mad at me again. This is Peter. But, but actually, this is me. This isn't Peter. This is all me. <laughs> You can email me at um, Kurt at uh, North Coast. <laughs> North County, not North Coast, sorry. I'm new. I still don't know what church I work at. <laughs> should humble myself under his leadership so I can figure it out. Okay, anyways, anyways, the first one is finances. Because, as a general rule, young people, we live for the moment, don't we? Yeah. I'll swipe the credit card. It's fine. I'll figure it out later. Yeah. Older people, as a general rule, have done a much better job of saving and they've learned this thing called delayed gratification. And it pays dividends much later in life. Finances, how we handle our money. We could learn a thing or two from them. Um, the second one, I think last service, this was uh, everyone's favorite, work ethic. Well, I got quiet. <laughs> it's a general rule. Older generation, I think, works uh, harder. Let me say it this way, because this might take the sting off of it a little bit. Um, the, the older generation, I think, is willing to sacrifice more for the goal than the younger generation. As a young person, I was a little wounded, so I had to, like, soften the blow. <laughs> the third one that young people can learn from older generation, um, the idea of entitlement. Mm-hmm, you hear it? Just, mm-hmm. There is a difference between earning and deserving we would be wise to learn that. And then the last one, because this just takes time, wisdom. Wisdom. That's the idea of, of, I mean, that comes down to your character, your integrity, wisdom, all of this stuff. Because you can't rush that. See, the, the, the internet is full of information. It's full of knowledge. But how to apply that, that's wisdom. And you just... You just know stuff when you're 50 that you didn't know when you were 25 or 30. You just do. You just know it. 
And so Peter is writing to the church. He's saying, old people, you got to lead like a shepherd, and this is kind of what it looks like. And young people, you just need to humble yourself. You just need to humble yourself. And then this is what's beautiful. Keep reading. He, he kind of tweaks this. He says, all of you, young and old, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Young and old, when we humble ourselves, we can have dialogue. We can have conversation. We can learn from one another because old people, you can learn some stuff from the young people. Young people, you can learn some stuff from the old people. We both have to be humble to learn from one another. He keeps going. Verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. i got to talk about this anxiety thing real quick. This is so important because it's crippling a generation. The millennials are struggling with anxiety like no other generation has. It is devastating. And Peter, remember, Peter's a fisherman. So what's that phrase? He says, cast all your anxiety. All of it. He's a fisherman. He knows what it's like to cast a net, right? Fishermen, these guys are yoked. They're throwing nets around everywhere. So Peter, and when you're fishing, you don't grab the net and go, eh. <laughs> just drag it as the boat kind of just... No, you don't do that. You're not going to catch anything. You grab that net and you chuck that thing. You cast it as far as you can so you can get as much fish as you can. Peter is writing, and I believe with this mental image in mind, is like you grab your anxiety, you grab all of it, all of it, grab all the anxiety, and you (laughs) cast all the anxiety. The problem that most young people, and probably older people, I think this is all of us, the problem, here's what we do. You know what we do? We say, God, would you give me the strength to overcome? And the problem is we are not strong enough to overcome because if we were, we would have already done that. Are you with me? So Peter is saying, grab your stuff and cast it on to God. Don't hold on to some of it, especially that big one, that big one where you're like, ah, I need to be victorious. I need to overcome. No, you can't do that. You've tried. You've prayed every prayer. You've talked to every person, but you have not casted all of it on Jesus. Now, I'm not a brain doctor. I don't know all this stuff, but I am a pastor, so it means I have some sort of idea of the spiritual realm. And spiritually, your anxiety is crippling you. It is causing your faith to weaken. It is causing your relationships with the people you love the most to weaken. You need to cast all of it. All of it onto Jesus. And listen, listen. The only way that you and I can do this is if we trust that he actually cares for us. This is, this is a gut check moment in this passage here. Cast all your anxiety onto God because he cares for you. If I don't truly believe that he cares for me, I can't give him all of this stuff. Because, because what, what if what I hand over to him, it still goes bad? It still goes bad. I'm terrified of being fired from the job. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to fly. I don't want to get fired. God, I give it to you. I end up getting fired. What he's saying here is you cast all that stuff onto Jesus because he cares for you. Which means he will take care of you even if the worst thing happens. He will take care of you. And talk to an older person who's been walking with Jesus for a very long time. They will have no shortage of stories of where they gave something to God and it just nosedived. And then a month or two later, 
You know the story, right? Redemption, blessing, goodness, favor. We hear these stories all the time. And it only works if we truly trust and we firmly believe that he cares for us. That's the only way we can do this. And young people specifically, you have to get this. Because you will be walking with a limp the rest of your life if you do not learn how to cast everything onto Jesus. Because he cares. Because he cares. You keep reading verse 8. Peter goes on. He's still talking to the church. He says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And those of us with anxiety, we're easy prey. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know, you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. I love this verse because he's like, stand firm. The devil is going to get you. And I love talking about this. And I think the best way to explain this is for you to simply check out this video. So turn your attention to the screens if you would. I was so embarrassed when Joel and the production team and they found that video of me, they're like, we gotta play it. I was like, I mean, okay, if you must. I mean, I was feeling sick that day too. I wasn't at my peak performance, so I apologize. I think that video works perfectly when we talk about this idea of spiritual warfare, of Satan, the devil, the enemy, whatever word you want to use for it. It's beautiful because um, if you notice in the video, what's, what's to the right of that trail? Death. I mean, right? And pop quiz, what's on this side? I mean, there's nothing there, right? If you lean on that side, boom, you fall over. If you lean on this side, you fall over. Bad stuff really, really does happen. And I think the same thing is true with spiritual warfare. You must have balance. Because on this side, the devil is involved in everything. You were late to church because the devil was after you. Or you forgot to set your alarm. It's the classic story, right? The team goes on the overseas missions trip. They bring the generator. They got the speakers. They're going to do this massive worship service, party, camp thing for the whole village, right? And everything's dialed in. They go to fire up that generator and poof, nothing happens, right? Oh, it's the devil, man. We, all right, we got to pray and we held down and like the, the intern in the back's like, yeah, no, it's the devil. It's got to be the devil. Meanwhile, he knows in the back of his mind, oh, I forgot to fill it up with gas last night. Oh. 
See, on this side, the devil's in everything, right? You couldn't get the good parking spot this morning because the devil was blocking you. <laughs> or you were just a little late. And on this side over here, there's no such thing as the devil. It's just the consequences of your dumb choices. And the devil has you right where he wants you. Because what do you and I do if we're on this side? We look at everybody else and we judge them. Well, if they would just get their life together, they could be more like me. Because I have my life together. And instead of it being the family of believers, it becomes the us versus them. And we look down on people and we judge people and we think really rude thoughts about them. When we talk about this, we have to be balanced on this issue. It's so incredibly important. And when you struggle with anxiety, when you're going through a difficult situation, when you don't know what to do and you've tried everything, it could be, it could be that the devil is after you. So we have to have, we have to be sober-minded. We have to be alert because he's looking for somebody. And when you and I are living in sin, when you and I are not walking in hope and faith and obedience, we are, we're an easy target. We have to be balanced in this approach. Peter wraps it up with this. Number three, I'll give you the point and then the, we'll close with verses 10 and 11. Number three in your notes, to everyone stand firm when life gets tough because it will. Stand firm when life gets tough because it will. And I want to read these two verses for those of you who have been suffering for a very long time. Life has been tough for a very long time for some of you in this room. With a room this size and this many people in there, some of you have been carrying things for a very long time. You've been struggling for a very long time. You have been praying the same prayer for the same thing for a very long time. And I want to give you some hope. Remember, Peter is writing to a church that every week people are getting picked off. They're being put to death. They're being persecuted. And he ends the book. He ends the book of 1 Peter with this. Verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. For a little while. See, the tendency for you and I is to look at this life on earth and to just go, I've been suffering, Jesus. I've been suffering for a very long time. But we forget about eternity. And if we're not careful, we can judge God's goodness solely based on what happens here on earth. This little dot on the massive timeline called eternity, we can judge God's goodness based on just the life that we experience here on earth. And we forget about eternity, we forget about heaven. And what Peter is saying is he's like, man, if you can hold tight, if you can resist the devil, older people, you've had some of these experiences and you have seen God work through them. If you can share the story with the younger people, younger people, if you could just humble yourself and slow down for a second and listen and learn, you could get some hope from it. And Because for a little while, we suffer this for a little while. And we get glory. And we get eternity with Christ in heaven. And that, that, that is the Christian hope. That's, that's everything. That's everything. And so I want to wrap up this book of 1 Peter, and I want to wrap up this message of 1 Peter by giving us hope. Because I think all of us in this room, we all have a story of suffering. 
whether it's, it's a health battle, it's a rela relationship battle, it's finance. I mean, pick, pick it, right? We've all struggled with this. And I know the text says for a little while, but if we're honest with one another and honest with ourselves, it has been a long time. And I just want it to end. And when I find myself in those moments, I can begin to doubt if God is good. I mean, eternity is going to be great, but like, you know, it's a long life. I start questioning and I go, God, are you good? I know in general, God, you're loving, but do, do you love me? And if so, what, what do I do with this moment? And if, if that's you today, if that's you today, I, I want us to sing this song together. Because I think, I'll just speak for myself, when I first heard this song, it gave me hope. And it reminded me of the foundational beliefs that I knew in my soul. So the band's going to come up, they're going to get ready. But if you are struggling with something, if your suffering does not feel like a little while, but it feels like an eternity, I want you to simply sit and just receive and think through some of these words. Some of you, and it may be the older people in this room, you've been in that moment, right, where the suffering was long and you weren't sure if it was going to end, but you've lived enough life. You've seen the hand of God work through that and bless. Maybe for you, as we sing this song, you need to stand up and just declare God's goodness. Wherever you find yourself, some of you in the middle of that, wherever you find yourself, would you slow down? Would you take a moment? Would we all humble ourselves to sit and reflect and to receive and then to worship and to glorify? So, Father, that's our prayer. Lord, would this song, would it minister to people that are here this morning who are hurting? Father, would it offer them hope? And would it give them encouragement? Lord, would you remind all of us that life here on earth, man, it is short. It's just a little while compared to eternity. Lord, I pray that we would, we would focus on that and that that would change everything for us, Lord. So God, for my friends that simply need to, to receive and to be reminded, I pray that this would bless them. And for others who know that this is true, Lord, would you receive their worship and all the praise? Father, would your spirit speak to us in this moment? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.